up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 112. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? What uh, what year is it? I feel like we haven't recorded an episode in like three weeks or something. Yeah, so about that. Uh, we've been <laughs> away, but I don't know if you got a chance to see this because we're recording pretty last minute here on, on our recording day. There was an issue with last week's episode where it the scheduling didn't work and it never got posted. So it went out oh, this no. morning. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Wait, do they think we died or something? I mean, I don't know, but <laughs> they're going to be able to know like two or two episodes this week, I guess, sort of. Yeah, that it's works. just a, it's just a couple days late. But yeah, that that's fine. Hopefully they didn't think we were dead. We, we are, in fact, alive. We didn't die in the wilderness, which I, I think we were both in. Indeed. Well, this week we're doing something a little bit different in that we are doing a format breakdown. And you may realize that there is no new set out. And so <laughs> yeah. format breakdown is a bit weird. But we're doing a format breakdown on our very own Draft Chaff Cube. We've talked about the Cube a few times, and it's gone through a major revamp. So we're going to walk through all the different aspects that went into the, the rebuild, and it's it's basically a brand new Cube. But before we get into all of that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in the Discord, check that out. It's the best place to be to interact with us as well as the rest of the Chaficionado community. And uh, post things like your trophy decks, go over there and brag about those, discuss picks, and chat about life and other nonsense. The link to that's in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week and keep us coming back doing this. Perks over there include things like stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our draft chaff hero cards signed by us and sent right to you. Again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right, we're going to skip the crack and draft type thing this week because we're going to we're going to walk through a full format breakdown here. So on to our Teferi Tibble, which is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, why don't you kick us off with your Teferi Tibble? Sure thing. So we just got back from Maine. Maine's a fun place. A lot of uh, hiking, uh, seeing scenic vistas, that type of thing. I saw Nope while I was there. Great movie. Have you seen it? No, that's the new Keegan movie, right? Jordan Peele. Dang it. The I always half. get the two of them mixed up. <laughs> yeah, the, the other half of the duo. I, was, I wonder what Keegan-Michael Key's doing these days. I think he was like doing America's Funniest Home Animal videos for a while, but that might have been 10 years ago. I don't know what he's doing. Anyway, no, Jordan Peele, um, fantastic. Absolutely loved it. Anyone that saw it, sound off in the Discord because uh, I want to hear your thoughts. It, it means something different to everyone that's that's seen it so far. Uh, and another Teferi, Arena Cube is back up. I'm currently 2-1 with a Golos Field deck, which is, as you mentioned before the show, unsurprising. <laughs> yeah, I expect to see that in the trophy list. Oh, I pack one, pick one to Embercleave, and then I took a, a Great Hand right after it. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a red-green beats deck, like my classic trophy list. I, I made like 70k gold last time I, <laughs> I, I went deep on those, but then I got past the Golos and I was like, I just don't pass Golos, not in pack one. Uh, my table, I've been in a bit of a lull from, from the game. Um, Alchemy just really put a put a bummer on things. And it's like, well, I don't feel like it. But good news is in a week we get Dom United spoilers. And the story so far has been really good. Like, I've been surprised <laughs> by, by, how, uh, by how good it is. And it's coming out with a new episode every day. Like, not once per week, it's once per day. So episode three just came out today. And the... Uh, well, the Phyrexians are back and we don't know who they've infected, which is really fun. Um, unless you've read some story spoilers like me. If you haven't seen them yet, don't. Just read I the have, story. I have seen some of them. Oh, man. All right. We won't discuss them here. But um, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, what's up with you? Yeah, my Teferi is that I was also away. I didn't go so far north as Maine, but I was up in upstate New York, about 40 minutes south of the Canadian border. And uh, right on Lake Champlain, a bunch of my friends and I from college went camping. Uh, it was about a four-day, five-day camping trip. Um, it was great. There were 10 of us, and we all tend to be relatively hard-headed and want to lead things. So <laughs> oh, man. as you can imagine, sometimes we bump heads. But it was a great trip. We got to do some kayaking. Um, Lake Champlain is awesome. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been, but you can like basically walk a quarter mile offshore and still be in waist deep water. Like it's so really? shallow, at least while we were there, it was, it was very shallow. So it was, it was pretty interesting. Uh, we got to kayak cro- across part of the lake and they also did like a ropes course over this big chasm in Sweet. the area. Um, think like something that is attempting to make its best Grand Canyon impression. <laughs> but we were like yeah. 75 feet in the air and just standing on like one single cable uh, hmm. across this big chasm. So it, that was a lot of fun. Um, probably the highlight of the trip for me. And then we also just hung out on the beach, did some, uh, played a lot of spike ball and fires and s'mores and all the typical camping stuff. So, um, perfect. Very, very fun. Now, did you see champ who I understand is the Lake Champlain monster? I didn't, but just this morning, my dad sent me a video of him. So, oh yeah. Okay. Well, a, a presumed video of him, I should say. <laughs> uh, the truth is out there. My Tefer or my tibble this week is that I'm catching back up three, even just three days away from work on the project I'm on is enough to kind of set me back in terms of not really knowing what's going on with certain things. So mm. playing catch up and uh, just trying to get my feet back under me from that. But uh, overall, I'm very happy that I got to get out and, and do that. I, it's been too long since I've been away from the city for any extended amount of time. And I didn't realize how badly I needed it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it, it's, it's fun while you're there, but you don't realize how badly you needed to get away until you're already away. Yeah, exactly. All right, on to our listener question of the week. And this week, our question comes from Mina Kang. And Mina Kang says, I'd be interested to hear what you think about trading. A lot of it just stopped dead during the pandemic, but I've always loved trading. So I picked up Deckbox.org and Puka Trade. Unfortunately, Deckbox doesn't have a terribly active community and Puka Trade went belly up recently. Do you two trade at all or mostly buy and sell? This is a hmm. great question. Yeah. And I think if you looked, at least for me, and I think think I can speak for both of us a little bit with this answer, but I think if you looked at the like era of our relationship with magic that this has changed. I think when we first both started getting into the game where we didn't really have money and we were still kids and and everything, trading was a lot more important. Mm. That said, we do have something of a relationship with a, with a website called Cardsphere. Cardsphere is essentially, well, I think it's a better answer to Puka trade. Puka trade Mm. had, I, I was on Puka trade for, for, a few years. Um, and my biggest issue with them is that they don't just give you money for your cards. Like you can, you can trade cards to people, but then you get like these Puka coin things. And then those coins have a relative value compared to the dollar. And well, you have to do all that kind of conversions and such. Mm. Whereas cards fear just says like, here's the dollar value of your card. Somebody's willing to pay this for it. Go ahead as a seller. I can say, Oh look, somebody has this on their want list. I'll, I'll check it off and send it to them and then I get paid for it and it's great. And if you want to cash out and get that in cash, you can. If you want to reuse it for cards on the platform, you can. I think Cardsphere is great. We're not sponsored by them, but we do have a working relationship and puts articles on their web- website monthly, as it were. So definitely check out Cardsphere if you're still interested in the trading kind of thing. I've never used deckbox.org for trading. I have used them for like card collection um, maintenance and such. But what, what's your... And then, you know, there's obviously like bringing binders and stuff to live events, but that's also kind of died out a little bit. Uh, ben, what is your go-to 
what's your what's your take on trading yeah that, that this is a great question i was actually just flipping through my uh my trade binder and uh i mean it had staples from an era of standard past i think like most of the stuff in there was from like kaladesh or before and i guess that kind of aligns with the start of the pandemic right maybe a, a few like a half year after or something like that but uh it made me realize, oh yeah, I really haven't done anything <laughs> with a lot of these. I, I I don't know if I should update it or just sell the whole binder clean if I'm not really doing that anymore. I mean, sometimes uh, the cards that I trade after events are little things like uh, after the double masters draft, I was asking someone like, oh, I saw you got some of those blah, blah, blahs. I've got some of these blah, blah, blahs. You want to swap those? Just stuff that I saw it in gameplay, stuff that I, was, I knew I was looking for. But I, I don't remember the last time I saw two people just sitting across from each other, like reading each other's trade binders. Um, something I did a lot in college, I guess. But yeah, I, I think just not as much trades nowadays, especially are are much more uh, monetary focused, right? So it's like mm. I have a card; it's worth X dollars. You have a card that's worth Y dollars. Let's find a way to make the two work. Yeah. I think when we were younger, it was more like, wow, that card looks cool. I really want it. Here's a card I don't care about, but you seem to care about. You can have yeah, it yeah. kind of thing. Uh, so I think a little bit of that magic is lost in terms of like trying to get proper value out of your stuff, which is fine too. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting value. But I, I should also add in terms of trading, like I'm actually in the process of trying to liquidate my in almost my entire collection. I'm going to keep like one or two commander decks, mm. but I'm just like not interested in owning cards anymore like i don't know if it's that going back to what you said in your tibble that you're going through like a lull with the game i don't know if i'm trying to step away from the non-drafting part of the game or i don't know but i'm just like not interested in they're just like taking up space on my shelf i just really don't see a need to have them i never play in paper anymore yeah it's so. fair i mean most of what we do is is on arena not that it devalues what we do in paper but like i mean i'm, I'm still really looking forward to dom pre-release for example but sure yeah, absolutely. But but even like the last pre-release we did, I, I remember looking at Ben afterwards and I was like, you want these for school? Like I just gave him <laughs> almost my whole kit because I just don't I don't really care to keep the cards anymore. Yeah, I'll never send out a draft chat for the students. But uh, as far as as Cardsphere, um, I can say that that's some some pretty great people from behind the scenes and I really enjoy writing articles for them. So, by the way, listener, did you know that I write articles? Uh, yeah, you can go find those. Um, some are pretty good. New Vector Theory article I dropped a little while ago. A lot of it had overlap with the show. But um, I mean, even just from from the from the people, I would say that Cardsphere is a pretty reputable service and one that you could trust. And I, I haven't really done much online trading. Uh, when I buy, I typically buy from TCG Player. I just find it's really easy and convenient and they tend to have some of the best prices and it is nice i, I don't know all the the mechanisms i'm sure there's people that are more into this than us mtg finance folks that are that are big on like uh like packaging and and uh like the the, the buying and selling process but i mean uh, tcg player directs like you optimize it it comes in one neat package it's nice <laughs> you know it's a it's a very streamlined experience all right, on to our main topic, which, of course, is our format breakdown for the Draft Chaff Cube. We're going to chat about each of the two-color archetypes, maybe a couple of extra little archetypes that were thrown in there along the way as well. And then we'll cover the gold uncommons for each of the archetypes, as well as a couple of other cards that we believe are just kind of the, the keys to that archetype. And at the end, we'll cover a few little extraneous picks that we threw in there that we're calling the Draft Masters picks. Uh, so we'll go through those as well. Ben, mechanics. Why don't you uh, walk us through the few mechanics that are in this set? Okay, let's start. Madness, DFCs, heroic, looting, rummaging, 
plus one plus one counters. I mean, we could do an hour show, <laughs> but uh, is blink a mechanic? No. So um, there's too many keywords and I guess mechanic type or even keyword abilities to name because we picked from favorites. And honestly, some of the ones that I just mentioned, madness counters like these are things that people tend to like double face cards we went and we picked out these things intentionally but a lot of the archetypes are more broad than that the the uh, the keyword abilities and mechanics they kind of fit into the archetype so you'll see some things with channel that go into the black red madness deck or uh, things that involve cycling uh, because that also cares about discarding cards we were very intentional to pick out things that synergized across a broad range uh, because that was actually some feedback that we got to, to not have this be a draft that's on rails from your first pick. And I dare say we succeeded. Right. So before we jump into all the vectors, I do want to kind of give a little bit of background on the cube, because if you're newer to the show or you just happened to be around long enough, but missed our last talk about the cube, because it's been a little while since we talked about the previous iteration. This is version three. And this version of the cube goes from what used to be a 360 card cube in versions one and two to now a 540 card cube, meaning we almost doubled the, well, I guess not quite doubled, but times and a half or so the, the number of cards in the cube. It also means that if you were to sit down to draft this cube, you wouldn't be drafting from every single card in the cube. There will be some that would be left out from a given draft, but it gave us more room to kind of widen things out expand the archetypes to be a little less narrow and give the draft yeah. experience a little more variability, which we, like Ben mentioned, we were told in some previous iterations that it, that the cube sorely needed. And, uh, we also found some room to get a little bit of weird sort of overlappy shenanigans with, uh, colors we weren't really expecting at first and they just kind of happened. And then we're like, Oh, we need to make this a, a theme. Mm -hmm. All right. So I guess we should probably define draft chaff. Now, this is something I think we tried doing in episode two, <laughs> if I remember. It's been a while, yeah. Uh, episode two of the show as to what draft chaff is. I think Zach and I even differ on our exact definitions, but I can simplify it by saying I consider draft chaff to any card that could or has been left on a draft table. And that could mean many different things. Uh, it could mean that it at one point was a $10 rare, but then it got reprinted in master set and now it's draft Jeff. I would count that as draft Jeff, even if it was seeing constructed play back then. For example, Falcon Wrath Aristocrat. Yeah, it, okay, it's awesome play. It was a mythic, whatever. But then it got reprinted in a master set. And of that set, it was draft Jeff. Now, there are some other ones that are pretty obvious, like commons, lands, things like that. Uh, but all of these cards, I believe, either have been or could be left behind at a draft table uh, for someone else to take, to put in a donation bin, something like that. That has been like my mentality while selecting cards. Yeah, and for me, I, I have a similar mentality, and I, I think I see eye to eye with most of that, with the exception being those master sets. I think if a card has seen extensive constructed play or has, we got into this, there was one card in the cube, which I don't think we're going to mention today. You'll have to check out the Cube Cobra link to find it. But there was one card in particular that has been banned in nearly every format. That oh, we we're going to talk about it. <laughs> okay, all right, we're going to talk about it. Well, we'll get to that then. But uh, it's certainly not draft chaff in the sense that I think of it as draft chaff, but it no longer sees constructed play and it's pretty inexpensive. And, uh, you know, you could argue that it was once left around a draft table. So mm -hmm. that's that's kind of where that's going. In general, I think it's, sa it's safe to say we've been looking at cards that are that were all-stars in their respective draft formats, but then nobody wanted in Constructed. That's kind of the way that yeah. I think about yeah. draft chaff. And we did keep 
a limit to the cost of the cube. We didn't want any cards. We wanted an average. What did we do? Average of $3 or less per card, or was it even lower than that? Yeah, actually, with everything all together, this is what we say, a 540-card cube. And, I mean, according to the most recent links, you can actually purchase the entire cube for $143. Yeah, so way less than that. What, that's like an average of... Around 25 cents per card, just pulling it up. 26 cents, if we're going to be a little more exact. Right, so so that was another thing. Um, cost was a huge factor. We didn't want to keep cards uh, that were too expensive. We did do this on an average basis, so there are some that you'll see that are a little bit more pricey, and if you didn't want to spend the extra dollar or two, you could uh, sub it out for something else. And then there were also some cards that we included due to some recommendations. You may notice um, a card here in the first a vector that we're going to jump into and i guess uh i can segue right into that uh in in our white blue uh vector mana war was recommended to us by marshall sutcliffe of course that made it in and you'll see a few others in the cube that follow suit with some of our guests that we've had on the show in the past but without further ado our first vector here we want to talk about white blue blink and you'll miss it this is a blink deck through and through we have cards like soul herder and Cloud Blazer in the Gold Uncommon slot. These are cards that care either care a lot about things coming into play, or or uh, has the ability in in the case of Soul Herder can actually flicker things on its own. And then cards like Cloud Blazer, which just has an incredible Ender's Battlefield effect. And the more you can repeat that, the better you are. Again, to bolster that, you've got Mana War and cards like Urbis Protector, which is a four white one one that ETBs to make a four four Angel. So lots of different cards going on in this mechanic. If you've seen a Blink deck before, you kind of understand what's going on here. But uh, this this was a deck in the first few iterations of the of the archetype or of the cube that we needed to keep an eye on because it was getting out of hand very quickly in terms of power level. Yeah, and we always knew we wanted a Flicker but Blink deck of some sort, right? Uh, the thing was we had to find the right balance to make it not just the most busted thing ever because ETV effects are hard to interact with sometimes. Uh, I, in the design of this cube, I tried to sort a lot of things into enablers and payoffs. And obviously you can't do that for everything. That doesn't really make a lot of sense in some archetypes like a control deck. But uh, in a deck like this, and in, in a lot of these archetypes, you'll see things grouped like that. And if only the public could see the uh, the draft shaft cube Google sheet, because that thing is a masterpiece of, of organization. Um, but there's other, other things in here. There's spells that flicker and we tried to make sure there was a healthy balance of spells and creatures which is something we struggled with in the first iteration opening this up to 540 cards really helped us do that um, because we were able to come up with everything each archetype needed as its skeleton and then kind of fill in the rest so there are some cards that are specifically in here with their archetype in mind and then there are some cards that are more general uh, but you'll recognize other classic flicker staples in here obviously soul herder would be an enabler and cloud blazer would be a payoff Next up, uh, we've got some grave losses to discuss. Uh, Blue Black, Reanimator. Uh, now, this is a Reanimator with a bit of a twist. Uh, this Reanimator, it cares about things being discarded. Uh, and it cares about things being looted away. So, for example, we have Obsessive Stitcher. Some people might remember that from M21. It's a looter, but it also is a reanimation effect. Then, Lazatep Chancellor, which is maybe not what you'd expect to see in a in a reanimator deck. It's blue-black for a 1-3. Whenever you discard a card, you may pay 1 if you do a mass 2. So this archetype uh, was designed around this vector of you want to be putting these cards in your graveyard anyway. 
How can you get additional payoffs from that? And turns out Blue Black cares about drawing and discarding cards. There's looters in more colors than you would expect. There's a colorless looter in this cube. There's a green looter in this cube. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's right. Green looter. Uh, how many of you think you know that one? So uh, some other cards in here. Waker of Waves. Uh, that's the five blue, blue, seven, seven. Uh, it's the massive whale also from M21, but it has the activated ability. Pay one of the blue, discard it. Uh, now, this obviously works really well with things like channel as well. Uh, and then Dusk Mangler recently from New Capenna, another really strong card, but uh, one that we kind of thought needed the home. Actually, a bunch of cards from New Capenna made it in because there are a lot of things that just didn't see play because of how busted Brokers was like Strangle that like instantly made it into the cube because we were like, this is one of the, one of the strongest versions of this effect we've ever seen, but you know, it deserves a home. Uh, to be fair, we did actually put overseer <laughs> in for the blink deck. So maybe strangle will just continue to get outclassed. All right. That leads us on to black red. This is madness. Ben already alluded to this vector before, but black red here is, is really about madness and a little bit of an overlap as you might understand with discarding madness does let you discard cards. So you might see a little bit of a Grixis, discard reanimator deck come mm -hmm. together and ben also mentioned a green looter so you may see some sultai reanimator i'm hearing some wedges i don't know about yeah. you ben but yeah uh, this may or may not be a two or three color cube any case our first black red uncommon here or i shouldn't say uncommon but but gold signpost is blood hall priest that is the two black red four four etb or attacks uh if you don't have any cards it deals two damage and then you can manage it out for less we've got Asmore as well, and I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce her full name. I, I practice for this. Ready? Asmorano Mardikatastanakulikar. Sure. <laughs> Sounds yeah, good yeah. to me. Uh, I, I got it close enough, I think. But yeah, we put Asmore in. Asmore's kind of draft chaff, right? Yeah, it's, it's not a card that's very valuable in terms of finances and isn't seeing a ton of play almost anywhere. So yeah, it fits the bill. And uh, I think this is one that'll be kind of fun to have in there. It's a, it's kind of close to my heart because I, I love the food deck type thing and I couldn't mm -hmm. actually fit her into my, my food commander deck because it's not, it doesn't include red, but um, so we've got her and then we've got cards like Archfiend of Ifnir, which is three black, black for a five, four flying demon. Whenever you cycle or discard another card, you put a one minus one, minus one counter on each creature your opponent's control. It also is cycling. So you'll see different ways to get cards into the graveyard via either madness or cycling things of that nature channel as well being one that we mentioned already and then avison's judgment which is one in red for sorcery with madness x red and it deals two damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or players and then if you madness it out it deals x instead wow there's looters in this cube and also things that care about discarded madness it's so weird how that happened uh now, we should mention that a lot of these cards are here because they're our favorites and they're the favorites of like drafters. So Asmore, obviously a fan favorite because it's just so <laughs> quirky. <laughs> uh, but but the, the food and the cooking, I knew that that'd be something that you'd be a fan of. And like the Underworld Cookbook, too, that's something that you're a fan of. Archfiend of Ifnir has one of my favorite arts in any magic card. Uh, just Seb, just he didn't have to go that hard, did he? Look at that thing. It's it's a it's a. It's so haunting. And this has always been one of my favorites. I've always wanted to find a home for this card, but I've never built like a commander cycling deck and I never played it in standard or anything. So a lot of those types of cards that, that Zach and I both really like just conceptually made their way into, into this cube. Speaking of cards that I like, <laughs> here's an archetype that may or may not deserve to exist. Red, green, stop hitting yourself. Enrage, I guess. It, it turns out there's, there's exactly enough 
red and green cards that care about them being dealt damage. Maybe there's not quite enough. I think there's enough, though. Stuff like Hornet Nest, Ripjaw Raptor, um, that's the one with Enrage, draw a card. And uh, things that enable it, like Reckless Rage, that's one red, deal four to something you don't control, and two to something you do control. Now, I actually did do a draft of this, uh, a test draft, and without experiencing gameplay, the deck looked fine because it overlaps with four power matters. And a lot of these big red green like beefers, they just happen to have four power. It's like Raging Regisaur. That's four mana, four, four. When it attacks, deal one to any target. Uh, and this is actually our, our first planeswalker that we've got in here as our other kind of featured quote unquote signpost uncommon. So I'm about to test it, a mythic with a power level of an uncommon. Uh, which is uh, kind of how a lot of the planeswalkers in this cube wound up here. So we, we didn't want to overpower it. Uh, even just by putting in planeswalkers that are too good and also draft chaff, you kind of throw the colors out of whack. I think every color has at least one planeswalker, and these aren't exactly the ones that you see in Limited and you go, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to lose to this. These are the ones that you see in Limited and you go, oh, I can attack and kill it next turn. <laughs> uh, Somewhat the tested, that's two red-green, four loyalty. Somewhat. Up six for one, uh, up to one target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Solid, right? Uh, minus two, she deals two damage divided as you choose among one or two target creatures and or players. And minus seven, search your library for up to two creature and or planeswalker cards, put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So that, that minus seven basically doesn't exist <laughs> because that's never happening. The minus two is the real reason she's in here. It's a repeatable source of pinging things and giving double strike, which... You know, when you're attacking with four power is good. And when you care about being dealt damage is good. Yeah. And this was an archetype that we waffled on for quite a bit. We didn't mm-hmm. want it to be just red, green, big stuff or red, Boring. green ramp or whatever. So we wanted to find a different angle for it. And I think the stop hitting yourself theme is is one that's pretty fun to draft, pretty fun to play. And hopefully uh, you all will feel the same as well. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't like... You wouldn't think there's that many good cards within Rage. I think Hornet Nest was the one that made me think, how many cards are out there? Because Hornet Nest is an older one from from before Ixalan. But there's like, I mean, there's there's Hungering Hydra and and fight effects. And I'll admit, this one's kind of scraping by. <laughs> this cube may not be in its final iteration, but uh, I am happy with it, where, 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 with where it's at right now. All right, on to green-white twin? Question mark? <laughs> Now, oh, yeah. we'll come back to that, but let me give you the signpost on commons. We've got Juniper Order Ranger, which is the three green, white, two, four human knight. Whenever another creature ETBs under your control, you can put a one, one counter on that creature as well as Juniper Order Ranger. And then Conclave Mentor um, is a recent return in Double Masters from, from the uh, Guilds of Ravnica block sets. Um, it just basically lets you put an additional plus one, plus one counter on creatures that would gain plus one, plus one counters. And then you gain life equal to its power when it dies. Now, we also have cards here like Midnight Guard, which says whenever another creature enters the battlefield, untap it, and Presence of Gond, which is an enchantment hmm. aura that says enchanted creature has tapped, put a 1-1 green elf warrior creature token onto the battlefield. Now, that does seem like a combo. <laughs> and that does seem somewhat twin-like. Wait a minute. If you put Presence of Gond on Midnight Guard, when the creature, when you tap it, then the token enters and it untaps it, doesn't that make infinite tokens? Sure does. And I I think we're beating this over the head with like a mallet or something and being a little too on the nose here. But this is an archetype that I'm excited to actually get to do to play in person because what we've done with green white is essentially just smash a bunch of infinite combos into one archetype and we'll see how it how it goes. So Midnight Guard Presence of Gond is one of them. 
but there are what five or six infinite combos in this archetype i'll be honest we gave you like 10 pieces listener you figure it out (laughs) (laughs) like uh there's there's all right so off the top of my head there's midnight guard presence of gond there's elemental mastery which is a red presence of gond those tokens have haste uh there's scurry oak and Ivy Lane Denizen, which a little more care about the counters. There's also Cleric Class. So if you have a life gain source, then you get the Heliod Ballista combo or like Heliod Scurry Oak combo where you can have the tokens come in, gain the life, put the counter on the Scurry Oak, make infinite tokens and gain infinite life. There's a Lurking Roper, which untaps. Oh, also Famished Paladin and Lurking Roper. They both untap when you gain life. So if you put Gond on them and then you have a Soul Sister effect, uh... Yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, did we even mention that there's like ways to drain life too? <laughs> we didn't. And, and and to be clear to the listener, we're not going through everything that there is to see in this cube. There's a lot we want you to explore for yourself when you get a chance to draft it. But yeah, green-white is just, it, it's, it's masked with this sort of general purpose plus one, plus one counters theme. Which but you can draft. Lot, yeah. Right, but there's a lot more depth to it. Um, and there's also like a, a couple of finicky, uh, maybe finicky is not the right word, a couple stealthy vectors that you'll find within vectors. There are some sub vectors <laughs> that we'll talk. I, I know Ben's got a mention of in the show notes later on, so I'm not going to say anything about it. But yeah, uh, green white does have some potential for other weird unintended, but really cool vectors as well. Yeah. Um, just have fun with this one on your own. I, I, I think we accidentally created something that we can't control. And <laughs> <laughs> I think it's best to just see what, what it does. Uh, hopefully it's, it's going to use its power for good, not evil. Time for Black White uh, called Get a Life. You know, this is a classic aristocrats life gain, life drain deck. And you have to jump through a few more hoops with this one than, than most aristocrat style decks. Uh, we see that white has the ability to make tokens from, from the previous vector. And that pairs pretty well with something like Cruel Celebrant, which is white-black for 1-2. And whenever Cruel Celebrant or another creature you control dies, creature or planeswalker, but that's not going to come up that often, uh, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So this is a blood artist effect. And, you know, th- this being your signpost means that the black decks aren't just going to scoop up your blood artist. That this means that this really has to be at home in, in black white. Now, what's the payoff for, you know, draining your opponent out for a bunch? How about some life gain and some life drain? You got Indulging Patrician, which is actually one of, one, a pet card of mine. I love this art. The, the blood moon in the backgrounds and whatever's going on with that vampire looks interesting. So uh, we, we got... One white black for a one four flying lifelink. And at the beginning of your end step, if you gained three or more life this turn, each opponent loses three life. I mean, this is just kind of like you, you pile on a bunch of soul sister effects, which by that I mean uh, when a creature enters the battlefield, you gain a life effect. If you're making enough tokens and draining them for enough, you're going to get paid off. Now, uh, <laughs> you may notice the... <laughs> I don't actually know why I picked this one to talk about because it's a little bit niche. It's almost a vector unto itself. But Lich's Mastery. This is the type of thing we put in here. Things that uh, players love to try. Uh, these wacky build-arounds. Triskaidekaphobia is in here as well, but I only wanted to pick one black card to discuss. Lich's Master is three black, black, black. It's a rare legendary enchantment. Hexproof. You can't lose the game. <laughs> Whenever you gain life, draw that many cards. Whenever you lose life for each one life you lost, exile a permanent you control or a card from your hand or graveyard. When it leaves the battlefield, you lose. So this is a, a, a sub game. This is a mini game to see if you can gain more life than you lose. And if you gain more life than you lose, you result in card advantage. And uh, hopefully you win through that. I mean, you can't win through 
Uh, you can't lose to anything else, right? You can't lose by decking, for example, from this. The other white card I wanted to mention was Answered Prayers. This is one white white. Uh, it's an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. If it isn't a creature, it becomes a 3-3 angel with flying, in addition to its other types, until end of term. Uh, again, a pet card of mine, one that I partially picked because the art is awesome. Really just fantastic, Seb McKinnon. Look at that blocking. Like, I don't know, th this takes rule of thirds and just like says, just try this out for size. Uh, anyway, I mean, I, I, I think this kind of fits in with a bit of an artifact and enchantment sub-theme in white, uh, which is a little surprising. There's some other things. Revenge of Ravens is, is in this one and similar effects. Those are very effective for, for gaining and draining. And uh, I, I almost see black-white, it might evolve into like a pillow fort type thing. I'm not entirely sure, but it's going to have some cool static effects to be seen. Uh, I'm not entirely sure where this one's going to land. It might need some tweaking, but you know that's why we're running it by you, the listener. Next up, we have black green spider spawning. Yes, we do mean actual spider spawning. It did make the cut for this cube as well. It's not, I don't think it's quite as overpowered. And, and part of the power that spider spawning had in its original printing was that nobody had, like we didn't have the internet to go spread around that like spider spawning was the deck to play so if you knew it was good and nobody else at your table did you were just gonna run run over everybody not quite benefiting from that here but we have cards like rot widow pack which is two black green for a two four spider with reach uh you can pay three black green to an exile creature card from your graveyard to create a one two green spider with reach and then your opponent loses one life for each spider you control so the sub theme sort of overlying theme here was spiders uh, in the first iteration of the cube we wanted a spiders deck and of course we do love spider spawning for the history that it has with draft and all those sorts of things. But this is essentially, uh, yeah, make spiders get, get the, get the air gummed up. We've got cards like cemetery tampering to kind of give you a little bit of extra graveyard payoffs and turn the earth as well, um, to, to do sort of the same. So this is a little bit of a, of an overlap with uh, blue black in that they care about graveyards. They just kind of care about them in different ways. And you'll see, flashback cards in this archetype as well as um cards like turn to earth turn the earth that that kind of sift through your graveyard mm -hmm. turn the earth is a big one because it allows you to shuffle things back in so like once you cast that spider spawning once uh maybe you've been self-milling with cemetery tampering uh, and you mill the turn the earth over you can turn the earth to reset your spider spawning or put back some of your key stuff so uh, in the usual innistrad spider spawning deck it usually dipped into sultai to have access to blue there are a few cards that let you like return things to hand uh, or return from uh, from I, I think there was one that let you return from exile to your hand, uh, which is how you got back the thing that shuffled other things. I don't know. It was like a blue green card. I, I didn't draft original Innistrad. Get off my case. So um, with this one, we, we managed to squeeze it all into just black green. You can fully loop your deck uh, within only I think only green. <laughs> I think you just need turn the earth um, and, and a regrowth effect. Right. So. I guess you need a way to get back from exile. I don't know. I'll have to look into this. But uh, the general theme of self-mill is pretty strong here, too. I mean, how are you going to get all those creatures in the graveyard for spider spawning and, and rot widow pack? Cemetery tampering. All right. Well, it's time to talk about it. Time to get flashy with, with blue-green flash. So um, we put profit of Krufix in the cube. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, before everyone lights their uh, pitchforks or and, and sharpens their... Um, torches torches <laughs> uh, profit of crew fix i've had a promo profit of crew fix sitting in my trade binder funny enough at this point for years <laughs> and i'm gonna put it in the queue <laughs> no we actually do have some reasoning for this blue green flash is 
con- it's constrained by card advantage in the set. It's it's going to be tough for it to draw enough cards for something like Prophet of Crufix to be truly broken like it could be in Commander. And uh, I, I think that's a reason why it's more okay in Limited in this case. Now, sure, there's ways to, to, to draw. For those that don't know, Prophet, we're talking about three green-blue for a 2-3. It's a human wizard, and it says untap all creatures and lands you control during each other player's untap step, and you may cast creature cards as though they had flash. So if this is the top of your curve, it does nothing, right? Like, if you have no cards in hand when you cast Prophet, this does stone-cold zero. But if you have a way to capitalize on Prophet, for example, River Hoopoo, uh, which is just green-blue for a 1-3 bird with flying... Uh, and this poor little guy, I mean, we've been trying to get River Hoopoo to be playable for a long time. I think it was in like the, uh, geez, I feel like it was in original Amonkhet, but um, original Amonkhet was like too fast for it. And then in Amonkhet remastered, it was okay. I don't know. I don't remember it was, the specifics. No, it was the other way. It was sort of in between. It was okay in Hour of Devastation because back then I think Hour of Devastation was two packs of Hour of Devastation, one pack of Amonkhet when you were drafting it. Mm, right. And so, because we were still doing block drafts, so you you could put River Hoopoo... Our Devastation was a much slower format than Amonkhet was, and yeah. so you could fit yeah. it in there. But then Amonkhet Remastered was another faster fence, So, Well, anyway, River Hoopoo says the, uh, the beautiful text, three green-blue, you gain two life and draw a card. So if you happen to have a River Hoopoo on the battlefield when you play Prophet of Crufix, you immediately untap all your lands, and then if you have nothing in your hand, you just activate the Hoopoo to draw two cards and gain, or gain two life and draw a card. So uh, you have to work to make Prophet good you can't just stick it in any deck but of course there are other things with flash that are gonna uh let you capitalize on this anyway i guess you don't need it you know profit part of the part of the payoff is that you just get to cast things with flash anyway but you know obviously you're untapping all your lands um doesn't hurt if you're if your non-creature spells and other things have flash or instance too so we've got draining welk this is four blue blue it is a one one it's already a six mana one one illusion looks like a squid cephalopod thing i don't know is flash it is flying and when it enters the battlefield counter target spell put x11 counters on draining milk where x is that spells mana value yeah i'm still not i'm still not happy that this is an illusion and doesn't have the illusion effect but mm. uh i'll take it yeah it, this is a fun one it's a good thing it doesn't because you can ephemerate this at instant speed indeed uh look at that flash etv effects combined with a blink deck bant blink flash what's going on here it's almost like someone thought about this how are you going to fix that how about harrow uh two and a green as an additional cost to cast harrow sacrifice a land and you search your library for up to two basics they come in untapped which i never really understood (laughs) but uh, the joke here is that you could um use this and did i mention it's an instant so you could leave up like this and a three mana counter of which there are a handful uh and then um Maybe even like a two mana flash spell. You can leave up this and a two mana counter and do both. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. This was another vector where in the first iteration of the cube, it was just like blue green ramp and it just felt very uninspired. So we tried to do something a little bit different. The flash sub theme isn't novel, I would say. Like people are aware that blue blue green cards have flash on them, but we've tried to piece them together here such that this feels pretty unique. And I don't know if we've found, I don't know if we've experienced a a a similar archetype in other draft formats yeah uh this is definitely going to be less busted than like the 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 ramp counters card draw thing that that we had before yeah speaking of busted (laughs) now i i'll preface this next vector by saying this cube 
to our knowledge so far in our own playtesting, which is admittedly minimal, is very flat. The power level across all archetypes seems very equal. You can be happy drafting just about anything. This, however, is one of my favorite vectors in the cube, and that is blue-red free cast. Yo, man, what a, what a sentence. What a sentence to say. Free casting is an archetype. <laughs> yes, it is. We've got cards like Kaza Royal Chaser. That's blue-red for a 1-2. Human Wizard at rare. It's got flying and haste. It has an ability to tap. And the next instant or sorcery spell you cast costs X less to cast this turn, where X is the number of wizards you control. We've got cards like Creative Outburst, which you might remember from Strixhaven. That's a ex- very expensive instant that you can kind of tuck away if you want to get the treasure and use it early. We've got cards like Omnispell Adept, which is four and a blue for a human wizard at rare from Guilds of Ravnica, I believe. It's a three, four. And it has an activated ability, two and a blue, tap. You may cast an instant or sorcery card from your hand without paying its mana cost. And where would a deck like this be without Ifrit Flame Painter? Three and a red for the Ifrit Shaman at rare from Shrixhaven. It's a one, four, double strike. When it deals combat damage to a player, you can cast target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard without paying for it. And if that spell would be put into a graveyard, exiled instead. So basically what you're looking at with this form, with this archetype is a bunch of ways to cast things for free or much cheaper than they otherwise would be. And a bunch of very expensive spells with which you'd be happy to free cast. Mm hmm. Yep. Enablers and payoffs. And there is a pretty big wizards. Uh, it's kind of like an incidental wizard sub theme. I think Kaza might be the only card that actually like cares about the number of wizards you have. I thought about putting Naru Meha in because I think she like doubles like when you when she ETVs, she like copies an instant or sorcery or wizards lord or something. I don't know. It's some some junk like that. But there are some let's just say there are some cards that are definitely worth casting for free. Uh <laughs> uh let's say there's some deal tens floating around some some like lock down your your opponent's board that type of thing uh and omni spell death and a, a free flame painter are not the only cards that let you do this there is a shocking number of cards that let you do this and you know these are cards that didn't always work that well within their uh within their limited environments a free flame painter was solid you could definitely make it work in fact i love making it work uh kaza saw zero play omni spell adept saw zero play but you put all these together in a cube like this where you're essentially drafting constructed decks rather than limited decks and i don't know we'll see what happens but uh that's i think it's gonna be good so we've got red white heroic here it's so weird i I think wizards actually kind of copied us on uh on this one while making double masters two weird we'll say we had like 90% of this cube done before we saw the deck, the, the set list for Double Masters. So it wasn't the other way around. I'll throw it out, that, that out there. We did not copy Wizards from Double Masters on this one. Yeah, we can we can confirm that. You can check our timestamps and sheets. Uh, and actually, I like our card selection a little more. We have Anax and Siamede, uh, which is one red-white for the happy couple. It's uh, th- a 3-2 with First Strike and Vigilance. And whenever you cast a spell that targets them, creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain trample until end of turn. So that obviously pays off going wide. There's some ways to go wide, like we mentioned in in white with tokens. And uh, red has the ability to target things, which is pretty useful. Now, uh, we've got angel fire ignition here. (laughs) You know, I I have a bad habit of not being able to pass this card um, in any circumstances. So uh, this is one red, white for sorcery uh, back from hunt. Puts two plus one plus one counters on target creature. 
It gains Vigilance, Trample, Lifelink, Indestructible, and Haste until end of turn, and you can flash it back for two red and a white. Wow, even flashback cards in, in non-black and green vectors. Someone was thinking when they made this cube. So uh, Angel Fire Ignition obviously goes really well on a creature with Heroic. So say Anax and Siamid, right? Then they just get huge, they buff your whole team, and you get to do it again the next turn. We prioritized instants and sorceries that either replaced themselves or had some way of like recurring. So for example, Skyblade's boon is actually an aura. Uh, that's one of the white. It's an aura. Uh, it enchants a creature and it gives the creature plus one, plus one and flying. So you're like, okay, sure, you can put that on NX and Siamid. What happens if someone kills it? It is the active ability, one of the white, uh, two and a white rather. Return Skyblade's boon to its owner's hand. Activate only if it is on the battlefield or in your graveyard. So you can buy it back from your graveyard, recast it, re-trigger heroic on a new creature. Uh, and in that way, it kind of gives you card advantage. And then one more Fists of Flame. Uh, that's one and a red. Instant, you draw a card, and until end of turn, target creature gains Trample and gets plus one, plus O oh for each card you've drawn this turn. So just a really efficient way to make sure you're going to have the resources to continue your kind of heroic chain. This deck wants to play one, two, and three drops and then just cast spells on them. And Fists of Flame, make sure you don't, you know, just cast a pump spell and then have no cards in hand. So that does it for our main vectors in the cube. There are certainly a few, there are a few more kind of nonsensical things we're going to talk about briefly. But before we get into that, I wanted to highlight some of the colorless cards that we've got access to. We've got things like Dollhouse of Horrors, which you might remember from Crimson Val. Uh, five mana w- with an activated ability of one tap, exile a creature card from your graveyard. You can make a token that's uh, a copy of it, except it's a zero, zero construct artifact in addition to other types. And it gets plus one, plus one for each construct you control. Then it gets haste as well. We've got cards like Animation Module, which kind of lets you uh, take advantage of some of those plus one, plus one counters that you're throwing around in your green-white decks. And we didn't really do a whole lot with with players. Um, this, this Animation Module does let you uh, get additional counters for players as well, but we didn't really do a whole lot with that. I should mention for Animation Module, there are ways to... You can go infinite, but you're bound by mana. Uh However, you can get infinite mana, so do with that what you will. Uh, by the way, Dollhouse of Powers too. In a set with lots of good ETB synergy, this also allows any color combo to be a reanimator deck. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, we're using it here as sort of a baby's god pharaoh's gift, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Funny enough, it actually works better with smaller creatures than it does bigger sometimes because those smaller creatures, you know, they can have more powerful abilities. Like a one-one first strike is nothing, but if you make three of these tokens and suddenly it's a three-three, then it's good. And we've got cards like Containment Construct, which is two mana for a 2-1 Construct from Neo. And whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. If you do, you may play it this turn. So kind of a little bit of synergies with some of the other things you might have seen in Blue Black and Black Red. Um, taking advantage of those Madness cards, to, or cards that don't have Madness to basically give your whole deck Madness. Um, and then a little bit of a special one here, Gate Colossus. That's eight <laughs> mana for an 8-8. Eight, eight construct and it costs one less for each gate you control can't be blocked by creatures power two or less and whenever a gate enters battlefield under your control you may put it from your graveyard on top of your library now ben why would we include a card like this i can't think of any reason it's just a big reanimation target i guess <laughs> there's the, who would put gates in a, the gates in a cube there's there's not like they just made more of those recently well that's just it we have all the gates <laughs> all all the gates actually the one gate related thing we don't have is maze's end which is so sad to me uh but it spiked from pioneer i think right it's like a ten dollar card now i will be putting maze's end in my copy of the cube uh but that would increase our budget by quite a bit and we didn't want to you know increase the average cost just for the sake of one card um 
if you happen to get this cube and, and or if you want to edit it and, and make it your own version listener and stick mazes in back in there to play online with sure go ahead yeah and, and the added pioneer play that the mazes and deck got kind of kicked it out of draft chef in my mind but yeah maybe it'll be back there i agree one day. Now, let's talk about some of the nonsense, because we actually put some draft nonsense in here. Uh, Things that they're not street legal, I guess you could say. So let's talk about Arcane Savant. This is three blue blue for a three three human wizard. You may have never heard of this because it's a conspiracy card. Uh, And unless you're, you know, unless you've been playing with conspiracy uh, recently, this probably doesn't ring too many bells. It doesn't see play anywhere. Now, conspiracy cards are just basically automatically draft draft because uh, ones like this really the only time you get to use them and and like see them to their full extent is during draft because this thing says before you shuffle your deck to start the game. Yes, that's right. This this is text on a card. You may reveal this card from your deck and exile it an instant or sorcery card you drafted that isn't in your deck when Arcane Savant enters the battlefield. Copy a card you exile with cards named Arcane Savant. You may cast the card without paying its mana cost. Wait a minute. Didn't we have like a blue-red free casting archetype? And didn't we also have like a flicker thing and ETB it and like reanimating? I don't know what's going on here, but uh, Arcane Savant, you could put this in a blue-red deck and you could have drafted Stormherd, which is like a eight or nine mana sorcery that says you get one one flying Pegasi equal to your life total. So you could just put this in your blue-red deck exile storm herd with it and then all of a sudden free cast the turn five storm herd yeah or you might have uh one of our big cards that are equivalent to anger the gods and uh mm-hmm. be playing blue white flicker <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh just <laughs> flicker all your stuff drop that kill your opponent's board and uh move on with your life yeah next up is uh deal broker another draft nonsense type card deal broker is three mana it's an artifact. It's a construct. It's colorless. It's a 2-3. And it says draft deal broker face up. Immediately after the draft, you may reveal a card in your card pool. Each other player may offer you one card in their card pool in exchange. You may accept any offer. Any one offer. And then the actual ability on it, you're not going to believe this. I, I did a double take when I first saw this card. Loot. Draw a card, then discard a card. It's like they knew. <laughs> and it's a free looter. You just tap it. Draw a card, yeah. discard a card. We don't get those. And it's colorless. So this is a colorless looter that lets you trade after you draft. Like, come on. Yeah, this is this is a fun one. I'm excited to see uh, what kind of the, the best deals that could be brokered. <laughs> There's other cards like these two that care about you either do something during the draft or you do something after the draft. Uh, but there's some actual conspiracies in this set, too. We have World Knit, which says conspiracy. It is a conspiracy card. And for those that aren't familiar, the reminder text on this is start the game with this conspiracy face up in the command zone. So this just kind of is a static effect that is just going to happen at all times. And it says, as long as every card in your card pool started the game in your library or in the command zone, lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color. This is the OG Yorian, where you just play every card you drafted, but your mana is perfect. Yep. And uh, that's a fun one that I'm excited to see where people can kind of take this take this to. I mean, it, it enables a five-color deck for sure. And uh, I'm excited to see where that goes. We also have another conspiracy here. Advantageous Proclamation. Your minimum deck size is reduced by five. <laughs> so you can make your deck bigger. You can make your deck smaller. <laughs> I don't know. Like, just first picking one of these, doesn't that just sound fun? 
Sure does. I mean, it, it's it's kind of like stipulation drafting without knowing what your stipulation is going to be when you enter the draft. Yeah, and I think there's five total conspiracies. Um, one actually pertains to our next archetype, which I'll let you talk about. We're going to get into some of our not so secret vectors. So yeah, as we mentioned, there are a few like overlying sub themes that we wanted to give vectors. We wanted them to have a deck in the cube, but we weren't quite sure just how to do that in terms of slotting it into the main two color pairs. And so we didn't, we decided let's just uh, make them work for multiple color pairs. And our first one here is big butts. And that is kind of quintessentially covered by cards like high alert or assault formation, which essentially say each creature you control assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. And then some of these do different things as well. High alert, for instance, as creatures you control can attack as though they didn't have a defender. Assault formation lets you pay mana to do that same thing. And there's also an activated ability on high alert that lets you untap creatures. We've got cards like Ancient Lumberknot, which is a creature that gives you this effect. And we've got a conspiracy that also has this effect called Weight Advantage and does the same thing. Each creature you control assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. And the this archetype, you may have noticed, if the astute listener will have noticed that many of the creatures we've already named had more toughness than power. It was something that we've seeded throughout pretty much every archetype in the format mm-hmm. because... Every single color in this format, besides red, has a card that will enable you to do the big butts thing in that you can assign combat damage equal to toughness rather than power. Okay, I actually, I have to admit something. I, I wrote this in, in the show notes, and then I drafted a deck. <laughs> I drafted a, uh, a red-green weight advantage deck. So, like, I had, I had the weight advantage. And it turns out a lot of red cards also have more, more toughness than they do power. So, I mean, there's spiders. There's like, I mean, think of uh, a flame painter, right? What if that's a, oh, geez. What if that's a 4-4 four, four double strike instead of a 1-4 double strike? Yeah. So, I mean, weight advantage was the way we kind of enabled red to get access to this effect. And of course, you can always just like play Jeskai big butts or Jund big butts or something. Like there are ways to do it. You don't need um, a red card to enable the deck. There just there just aren't any. They've never printed a red card that does this thing. But you can certainly put red cards in decks that are aiming to do the big butts thing. Mm-hmm. Some other things uh, like this: Cherix, the Raging Isle, and uh, Catapult Captain. So that's right. You could come in with a uh, you know just a casual seventeen seventeen on turn five if you plan things out right, and then you could uh, fling it at your opponent with the Catapult Captain. Next up, another all right, I guess not so secret archetype: Gates. Yeah, we, we've got gates and we kind of balance this out by making red the key to the gates because red has access to gates ablaze. So everything else is primary in butts. Gates is primary in red. I don't know. I'm trying to talk like Morrow, but it's not working. So uh, gates ablaze is kind of the, the big gates payoff. And there's others, but uh, gates ablaze is two in a red. Uh, it's a sorcery. It deals X damage to each creature where X is the number of gates you control. Now, this is a 540 card cube. There are 15 gates. I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> like yeah, this is warning. on the chopping block. Th- this, I mean, maybe, maybe people try it and just find it's impossible to do. Or maybe if one person does it and they say, yeah, I got like nine gates. I'd be like, okay, you know, it, it can be done. Yeah. There's, like, there's also something to be said for just like how common this could be. I mean, it may be that you think because it's a 540 card cube, you, you may not even have all the gates accessible to you during the draft. Yeah. And so you might like go all in on a gates deck early enough and then realize mm, there just aren't any gates in this pool. Yeah, I think really the gates neck would probably need like five or six to be, I guess it really wants closer to six or seven or eight to be to be 
like considered a gates deck. And there's other things that pay it off, like Guild Summit, uh, Tuna Blue, Enchantment. When it ETBs, tap a number of untapped gates, draw a card for each gate you tap that way. Uh, and then it says whenever a gate enters the battlefield under your control, you draw a card. Now, we toyed around with with different like gates things. I might house rule in my version of the cube that I'll be putting Maze's End in. I'm thinking of house ruling where if you draft and choose to include Maze's End in your deck, you are gifted one of each of the Ravnica gates. I, I did think about this, but that also means that they no longer have to like spend draft picks on lands. Maybe I would make it so that they can then swap out 10 of their draft picks for 10 Ravnica lands. Uh, still thinking about how to make that work, um, but I think there's ways to do it. I also, right now, my my uh, one of my favorite little includes here is Nine Fingers Keen, which is the only three-color card in the set. Weird how that happened. Uh, it costs one black, green, blue, and it's a 4-4. Four, four. Uh, Human Rogue with Menace. Ward pay nine life, which is functionally hexproof i guess uh and whenever they deal combat damage to a player look at the top nine cards of your library you may put a gate from among them onto the battlefield then if you control nine or more gates put the rest into your hand otherwise put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order so we do have the 10 ravnica gates and then there's like six or seven gates from Baldur's gate too uh, one for each color and then a few random ones i think there might be an 11th like a colorless choose the color gate from from both these sets so with all the gates available, it can be done. It, we just don't know how practical it is yet. Um, but, you know, if, if there's one thing I'm probably most doubtful of in the cube, it's whether the gates deck is going to work or not. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. We tried it. We'll just swap it out with something else. Yeah, that's another reason why this is one of those like overlapping kind of themes that like incidentally could begin could be part of some other deck, but we didn't slot in as a main vector for the for the cube. And uh, the last of those that we wanted to highlight is five colors. We kind of already hinted at it, but we've got cards like Elysian Caryatid, which is the two mana one one tap add one mana of any color. Um, and then you can actually get two mana of any color if you have a creature power four or greater as well. You got cards like Dried Greenseeker, so a bunch of different dorks and things that let you ramp ramp uh, lands out. And uh, Reclusive Taxidermist, which is another mana of any color kind of looter that, or not looter, uh, dork that also gets bigger and is relevant later on in the game as well. So this is kind of us just seeding in like, we tried to think of some really fun things to do in this format. And I think we, get, we did succeed there. And yeah. props to Ben for a lot of the like, really random uh, <laughs> interactions. Uh, ben went really deep putting this together, but I'm sure some things were missed by either of us. Oh, yeah. And the five oh, color decks away for you guys to kind of figure out a bunch of other things for yourselves as well. Yeah, I mean, you could do five color reanimator. I think each, I, I don't know if I've got a black red reanimation effect in there. I tried, but I know black white has a reanimation spell. Blue black has a reanimation spell. Mono black, black green has one. I should get a black red one in there. So that way you could have like all five. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, I mean, it could be like a, a, an offshoot of the gates deck or even five color toughness, right? Like if, if you can jam both high alert uh, and, and, the, and the tree, the, uh, the tree folk into the same deck, you know, it could work. Uh, I don't know, and I'm I'm uh, I'm a little afraid to ask. I think this is one we just have to like trust. What we put enough support in. I mean, these two mana dorks, uh, the Elysian Caryatid and the Reclusive Taxidermist. I wanted to highlight those because they both tap for mana of any color, and there are other dorks in the set that tap for just green. These two, I think, are elusively high picks uh, because of that, that that they do tap for mana of any color. Um, and actually, there's a we should mention that there's a cycle of uh, of rocks in the set, um, mm. the diamonds. So uh, like charcoal diamond, for example, is uh, 
two colorless for uh, just a matter rock and ETVs tapped uh, and it says tap for black. So those are also going to be pretty high picks when everyone is doing when the power level is about flat. Same with, you know, a lot of cubes like vintage or arena. When the power level is fairly flat, uh, doing your like thing before your opponent does their thing really counts. So if you go taxidermist uh, into like, I don't know, some some four drops itself mills and then then you curve into Ishkana, then your opponent's like, oh, what's what's going on there? And they're still on four lands. Now, we did mention the Chaff Masters picks. These are five cards that Ben and I use as flex spots. To just like we literally just wanted to put them in the deck or in the in the format. Um, and so those are Risen Sanctuary, which is a card that explicitly mentions Chaff. Kind of figured it needed to be there. Core Celebrant, Nine Fingers Keen, which we mentioned, Dried Green Seeker, which we also mentioned, and Reaper's Talisman. Yeah, so these are cards that we just kind of inserted in for ourselves uh, because we like them. And uh, we kind of reserved these five slots to make adjustments should we need to. Uh, I was actually just thinking, I don't know if I put literal assault formation in, <laughs> which means one of these might have to change soon after the show. There's other hidden vectors too, but we, we kind of lost track to be honest. There's only so much one or two or even 10 brains could do while looking at this. And there's some that are going to have to be discovered by experience. For example, uh, I accidentally drafted a green white flash deck. And then once I did, I was like, okay, we can lean into this. And I, I like, I took out O-Ring and I put in Stasis Snare, like things that, that would further support that in little fun ways. And then there's a, so this is weird. You can draft green-white flash, but you can also draft blue-black flash. I, I really don't know what, what happened here. And I, I find it kind of funny that red ends up as a bit of a unique odd color out in some ways. Maybe there's even a mono red deck in, in this cube somehow. If, if, um, if it continues that way, I know that's kind of how like vintage can support mono red and mono white somehow. I don't know, but a lot of the colors work well with each other and red sometimes gets left a little bit on the side. Um, it's something that we're aware of and something that I think someone who drafted this set a hundred times would notice. So that, I mean, we, we were aware of it too. So I, I'm, I'm also looking for ways on how to, either fully incorporate red or give it maybe its own unique identity, which I think is kind of cool. Like Urabrask, Hazret, those are like characters that within their cycles of the lore, they stood out for intentional reasons. Urabrask doesn't want to be in the Phyrexian Legion. Uh, he wants to kind of do his own thing and like lead his people. Hazret was the only god to survive on Amonkhet and uh, because of her tenacity and uh, kind of refusal to just, you know, go become a goalless, uh, a bolus puppet. So... I don't know. From a conceptual standpoint, I'm okay with red being a little bit strange in this cube, but I guess that's TBD. We got to do some drafts and, and get people in on this. Now, just to kind of wrap things up here, we kind of touched on some final thoughts, but uh, we do also have a list of achievements. You can see the entire list on the cube cover page, which will be linked in the episode description, but we've got some really fun ones there. And I think, uh, I think there there's going to be a lot of fun had trying to kind of sort these out. We're thinking about doing potential type of tournament where you gain points based on the number of achievements you get and things like that. More to come on that later, very much in the early stages of developing what that might look like. So um, this is where we turn it over to you, listener. Uh, we want feedback. Right now, you can click on the link. We'll, we'll link it in the episode notes. Uh, it'll be in the Discord and on Twitter. You'll be able to find it everywhere. We're going to spam this thing, this link, all over the place. You'll be sick of seeing the Draft Chaff Cube. Hopefully not. Please don't. Please draft it. Just give it a shot. Uh, you can go on Cube Cobra and you can fire an actual draft. It's a bot draft. You can just do it yourself. Do it. Send us the link 
I'll send arena codes to the decks that <laughs> I like the most uh, or to people that do something unique and cool, but deemed by us, of course. Just, you know, help us out too. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you took the time to, to try this and tell us if you had fun in the draft experience. Obviously, there's some things like Deal Broker that you can't really do with bots, but uh, we're just trying to get a sense for if it works because previous feedback told us that, yeah, there's something good here, but it needs more uh, tuning. We think we've got it pretty tight. And maybe if there's enough interest, we can even get a full draft going from, from people in the Discord. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Again, check out the Discord if you're not already in it. And, and if you are going to be doing drafts of the Draft Half Cube, whether online or you're going to grab a copy yourself and play it in person, we'd really love to hear and see it. We actually, another hidden little gem for this cube is that we we explicitly, when given two options where one had a like we were stuck between two cards and one had an alt art or some fancy promo or something and one didn't we went with the one with the fancy promo so you guys can bling this out as much as you like and i know ben and i both intend to do so so oh yeah uh if you do end up getting in per, in in paper drop some pictures in the discord where we can see like what kind of bling you're picking out for like different alt arts and such and if you'd like to support the show directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod again huge thanks to everybody who continues to, to support us over there we really, really appreciate it and can't thank you all enough for that. If you'd like to check us out outside of the Discord, you can find us on Twitter at DraftChaffPod. Thanks, folks, and we'll catch you next week. All right, one quick thing before we bounce because we both got to take off. Uh, I've been watching this show called The Rehearsal. It is uh, created by Nathan Fielder of Nathan For You. Are you familiar with any of this stuff? Nope. All right, uh, Nathan For You. Nathan Fielder is kind of a master of what I'd call hard-to-watch comedy. Uh, Eric Andre, uh, Tim and Eric, they, they practice this too. Um, so I guess it's best to just describe what it is. Um, the rehearsal is a show that this guy made where you can rehearse for real life. So for example, the first episode, there's a guy and he wants to uh, confront a friend about something, something he'd been lying about, and he wants to practice. Uh, Nathan builds a scale replica of the bar that he was going to talk to his friend in down to the brand of the salt. He builds a, a perfect replica and hires actors, then hires an actor who is a lookalike to the friend that the other guy is trying to confront has the lookalike go talk to the person that he's trying to confront to the friend, study her mannerisms and the way she speaks. Then she acts as the stand in for the friend and they hire look like lookalikes wow. for the people in the bar and they let him rehearse real life and uh it, it's the rehearsal and just seeing how like it, it's it's a fascinating case study and how people act uh especially when they're on camera it questions what tv even is because i'm not entirely sure the rehearsal is a tv show i think it's it's something weirder than that um it, it'll it'll make you question everything i highly recommend it